an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Every year it's a privilege for me to share at Franciscan University, at the Institute, and in defending the faith. And I can still remember years ago coming to my first conference here and the, the excitement that was bubbling over in my heart, the excitement to come together with like-minded people who wanted to study God's Word and put it into practice. And it seemed like every week we were discovering something new and it was just very, very exciting. I'd like to start off with prayer and I'm going to share with you this evening about suffering and it is a pleasure for me to share with you about suffering because this one teaching on suffering has absolutely changed my life and the introduction of the book of Revelation has just deepened my understanding of suffering and given me more of a vision for what God has, has called me to and what he's called all of us to when it comes to our suffering and the meaning of it. So let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you today for giving us life, and we thank you for, for, for paving the way in the area of suffering, laying down your life, and that we would walk in your footsteps. I know, Lord, that people have come here from all over the country, and there's a lot of stories behind the scenes of what people are going through. My prayer, O oh Lord, is that tonight, and tomorrow, people will, will grow in their understanding of their participation in the cross and that they will see more clearly how their suffering has meaning and that nothing is wasted with you. I ask for the intercession of our dear mother, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What I'm going to share with you the, this evening comes out of my own experience and my own, my own ignorance and my own desire to try to make sense out of suffering in my own life. I was raised Catholic, but I ended up leaving the Catholic Church and I became a Protestant pastor. And my background as a Protestant pastor didn't give me a lot of answers to the meaning of suffering. We would read commentaries and we'd come to the points where it talked about suffering. And to be honest with you, I didn't get a lot of really good answers. And it wasn't until I came back into the Catholic Church that I started to realize that suffering had tremendous value. I can remember listening to some Catholics talking about wanting, or not wanting, but to desire to embrace their suffering in their life and thinking that they were a little bit off, something a little bit different about these Catholics, particularly those who started thanking God for the suffering in their life. But after coming back to the Catholic Church, something happened to me that really forced me to face this issue of suffering. And then later, studying the book of Revelation, which we're going to take a look at here, opening and ending with that, it just deepened. What happened to me was I ended up with a, a pretty bad neck injury. And that neck injury split my C6-7 in my neck. And I wound up in a tremendous amount of pain for about nine months. 
And through a series of doctor visits, I ended up, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I ended up in emergency surgery where my neck was fused. And they took a bone from my hip and they put it in my neck, put that, that part of my neck out, put the bone in, fused it, put titanium plates in, screwed it all together, totally wrecked my whole day. <laughs> but it brought some relief. But it was in the middle of that that I had a choice to make. I had a choice as to whether I was going to try to understand this teaching of redemptive suffering or whether I was just going to put up with the suffering. And what I have found in my life, and I'm sure that some of you would agree, is that when we approach the Lord in our Christian life, we have this, this idea of what our, our life should be. And that we have this sense of the ideal life. I know I do. And that ideal life is where I am comfortable. Uh, life is predictable. It's what interests me. It's what I'm gifted at. I'm affirmed in this area. I am pain-free. I have a sense of accomplishment and my basic needs are met. But the problem with living my life thinking that that's what I'm going to get every day is this ideal life. The only problem is, is that I have to wake up in the morning and real life hits me in the face. And when real life hits you in the face, you are, you are faced with things that are uncomfortable, unpredictable, you're not particularly interested in that particular subject. It's not your gift. You're not involved, it is, or not affirmed, and it involves pain in your life. And when that ideal life hits real life, we are faced with a decision. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with our lives when suffering enters our life? There's a number of options that we choose. One is that uh, we make others pay the price. I make my wife pay the price for my less than ideal day. If you would have only scheduled it and put it on the Google Calendar, then I wouldn't be faced with this. So we blame other people. We run. We medicate. We get lost in the internet. We have a lot of ways of dealing with this. And what happens so often is that when we take a, a step back and we look at our lives, we realize that I have only really embraced about 30% of my life, or 40%, or 45%, and that 45, 55% of our life is simply putting up with life. And we seem to always be waiting for it. When the, when the stars align and everything comes together, that's when I'll really do what God called me to. That's when I can finally start that ministry. That's when I can really love my children. And I'd be able to really love my children and really love my wife if it wasn't for all these problems. And what I discovered in redemptive suffering, in the teachings of the church, and it's really come alive in the book of Revelation, is that God has given me the opportunity to live 100% of my life. As St. Paul said, he said, I have learned to live with a lot, and I've learned to live with a little. He said, I've learned the secret. How many of you want to know the secret? He said, I've learned the secret that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you believe that means all things? Now, I looked this up in the Greek, and in the Greek it says, all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And that means as a Catholic that not one bit of my life has to be wasted. That the good times, wonderful. But when difficulties come my way, I can live life and I can embrace it. And those difficult times provide me an opportunity to be a witness, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And that's the way the book of Revelation starts off. I'd like to start off and just read a little bit of it here because you know that John writes, the apostle, or the, uh, St. John writes to uh, this church that you've heard about in some of the lectures already. He writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And he writes to them to encourage them because they're going through some difficult times. In fact, he says in the very first chapter, he, he talks about the difficult times that they're going through. He says, I, John, in verse 9, your brother who share with you in Jesus the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos. And so he's writing to a church that is in desperate need of encouragement. There is a lot of Caesar worship going on. There's persecution that's going on. And they need some type of encouragement. And what John is going to do is he's going to pull back the veil in a sense and he's going to show them the reality of their situation. And you're hearing all different aspects of that in this, in this seminar. But one of those aspects is this aspects of, uh, aspect of suffering. And it starts off in the book of Revelation, and it tells us in verses 4 and 5, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And so the book of Revelation starts off by providing us the model for being a witness, which who is Jesus. And that word witness is the word martis, where we get the word martyr from. And we understand witness to be someone who is providing a witness. They are substantiating something. They are, they are, are saying, yes, I saw this. Yes, I saw that. And certainly those early uh, Christians were witnesses, what they saw and what they heard, what they touched. But something happened in that early church, and that is that those early Christians were faced with the opportunity where their witness was to the point where they were going to have to put their life on the line if they were going to be consistent in their witness. And so we see the first martyr after the Holy Innocence, St. Stephen, who seals his witness with his own blood, where he gives his own blood and seals the witness there. Now, we understand the word martyr to be someone who dies for their faith, and that certainly is true. A martyr is someone who dies for their faith. But there's also an aspect to this where we become martyrs or witnesses for Jesus Christ, not necessarily dying physically in every aspect of our life today, but we die daily. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31, he said, I die daily. Now all of us, as I started off talking about, all of us have experienced suffering. The question isn't if we're going to suffer, it's when. And even more to the point, how? How are we going to suffer? Archbishop Fulton Sheen says that the hospitals are filled with wasted suffering. People that are laying there in pain and have problems physically, 
but they don't know what to do with it. Pope John Paul II said that if you cannot attach meaning to your suffering, you can go into despair. How many, uh, how many of you have felt like that at times? You don't have to raise your hand, but you've... <laughs> nobody, great. <laughs> how many of us have felt like that before where we have entered into a period of suffering in our life and we simply can't bring meaning to this? Why? Why did this happen? Why do I have this opportunity? But he also said that if you can attach meaning to your suffering, you can go through anything. You can go through absolutely anything. And I like to use this illustration to, to uh, make the point. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you would be willing to suffer for a whole week physically for a hamster? All your hands, please. All, all of you, for a hamster, how many of you would suffer physically for a week? There's no meaning, is there? You're saying, I'm not going to do that. I don't even know the hamster's name. I'm not going to do that. But let me ask you this. If we took a beam, a metal beam, and we put it between two bricks a foot off the ground, and the beam was about 18 inches wide, we'll say a 12 inches wide, and I offer you $1,000 to walk that 25-foot beam one foot off the ground, how many would do it for $1,000? It's only a foot off the ground. How many would do it? The rest of you need to get a life, okay? <laughs> All right? It's an easy thing to do. You just walk 25 feet on this 12-inch wide beam. A few hands go up. How many of you would walk that beam if that beam were 100 feet up in the air? And I'll give you a million dollars. There's a few of you. There's a few of you that need counseling. There's a few of you. Now, what, what if I took that beam and I put that beam up between two 50-story 50, 50 buildings on a windy day? How many of you do it for a million dollars? How many of you would do it if I told you that your daughter or your son was on the other side of that beam and you will never see them again unless you walk that beam? How many of you would walk that beam? Aha, we found meaning. We attached meaning to what could be tremendous suffering, but you're willing to do it because there's meaning. I always say sons and daughters in here say that beam. I never mention wives or husbands because people go, well, well. Boy, I'm not sure. But I know that people are willing to walk that beam for their children. And so we identify meaning. Now, Pope John Paul II also says that, he says that if we can attach meaning to our suffering, we can go through anything. But he also says that there are two types of suffering. He says that there is physical suffering, which most of us have experienced at one time or another, and then there's also moral suffering that we go through in our lives. And that moral suffering is that suffering of the heart. That's that anguish that we experience in our heart. But not only are there two kinds of suffering, but there are two what he would call types of suffering, and that is there's temporal suffering, and then there is also definitive suffering. And definitive suffering, I quote, John Paul II says, Man perishes when he loses eternal life. The opposite of salvation is not, therefore, only temporal suffering, but the definitive suffering, the loss of eternal life, being rejected by God, damnation. The only begotten Son was given to humanity primarily to protect man against this definitive evil 
and against definitive suffering. And so we also know that Jesus came and he employed temporal suffering to deal with this definitive suffering. The temporal suffering to deal with the definitive suffering. So the cross of Jesus Christ becomes for us the full expression of Christ's love. And the cross becomes the means whereby Christ not only pays for us and dies for our sins, but he provides us a model on how to love. Because we know that we're going to have the opportunity to pick up our cross and follow him. So we must understand that all the obstacles and trials of life are not impediments to real living. Instead, we must see them as ways of really living our life. So that when I see my cross, I have an example in Jesus, and when a cross comes in my life, I can embrace that as Jesus embraced his life, and I can really experience life 100%. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to, at the end of my life, I want to be able to stand at the end of my life and say, I have lived my whole life. The good times and the difficult times I live. So we don't treat the trials and the suffering and other people's inadequacies as things that must be dealt with before you can really do what you want to do. They are a part of what you do. They are a part of your life. I want to give you a few scriptures to talk about Jesus as the model of our suffering. And then at the, towards the end, we're going to return to the, to the book of Revelation. And we're going to see this idea of suffering in the book of Revelation as an opportunity for us to provide a witness to the world. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature, that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. You see, the Lord did what Adam failed to do. Back in the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam, at the heart of, the, of, uh, of his, of his uh, fall, we see this lack of willingness, if you will, to love or to even face suffering. But Jesus faces the suffering. He does what the first Adam failed to do. It says that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And now we are to become like him. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said in 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. Just as we have born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Jesus has established the way for us. He has given us the model to love, and that is to embrace the cross completely. Now Paul writes, and that scripture has been given earlier in the conference, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. He gives 
a word that I got to be honest with you was always very troubling to me. And it was problematic to me before I became Catholic because I couldn't make sense of it. Where Paul says in Colossians 1.24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. How many of you have ever read that and you thought to yourself, what could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Did Jesus not hang on the cross long enough? Was it not intense enough? What was it about the sufferings of Christ that there would be anything lacking? Paul speaks of this. Pope John Paul II asks the same question. What is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? And his answer, nothing. Nothing is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but that you might come to know the love of God, he has made room in his suffering for you to participate. And as St. Augustine talks about, in trying to find an answer to this problem, what could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? The answer is, the lacking of the suffering of Christ is the lack of suffering in his mystical body, the church. And so we ask, well, why would God want me to participate in his suffer, suffering? Doesn't he want me to be happy? And that's an interesting question of modern man. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And if he wants me to be happy, then why is he allowing me to suffer? Now, the ancients used to say that happiness was a matter of doing good. But over the years, doing good has changed into modern man's definition of happiness is when I feel good. I'm happy when I feel good. But the problem with that is that if I can only be happy when I feel good, then my life is very drastically limited to how much of my life I can truly be fulfilled and be happy. And so Paul asks that question. John Paul II answers it. Christ wants you to have an opportunity to join him in his suffering. And when you look at every aspect of Jesus and his messianic mission, you have one of two ways of looking at it. One is that he did everything. He did absolutely everything for us. He is the intercessor. He is the one who died for us. He's the one who suffered for us. He is the judge. He is the physician. We can go on and on. And that my role is simply to receive, 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 receive. But you don't really find that in the Bible. In fact, what you find in the Bible is that Jesus shares his messianic mission, his priestly mission with us as a way for him to continue his mission in the world today, but also that we would come to know him, that we would come to know Jesus as witnesses by participating with him in every aspect of his ministry. And so we have the, the participation of the priesthood, the clerical priesthood and also the priesthood of the believers. He is the one intercessor between God and man. Timothy speaks about this. Yet, he gives us his name and says, pray in my name. And so he is the one intercessor, but he shares that intercession with us, his mystical body. He is the physician, yet he says, pray for one another and lay hands on one another in my name. And so we, he shares this healing ministry with us, the mystical body. And in the same way, when it comes to suffering, did he suffer for the sins of the world? Absolutely. But he makes room in his suffering for us to participate, 
so that not only is his ministry continued on, but that we would come to know him. And even more to the point, that he would be perfectly formed in us. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is to continually form Jesus Christ in us. And so we can conclude that at any point in our life where we have an opportunity to suffer, where we have an opportunity to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is actively working in our life to form Christ in us. In a moment, we'll look at this, but even his mother is actively involved in our life. She who is called the Queen of Martyrs is involved in our life in perfecting Jesus. And so, that question, is there anything lacking? What may be lacking is our lacking. Some people say that some of the early disciples might have missed the passion and the significance of the passion at that particular moment, and it became increasingly clear to them. But I wonder how many of us are missing the opportunity for the passion in our own lives, and we let it go by, and it doesn't become salvific in our own lives. John Paul II said, and I love this, he said, in the cross of Christ, not only is the redemptive, redemption accomplished through suffering, but get this, and this is so powerful. And by the way, if you want to read a great small letter of, of uh, John Paul II's that really brings suffering uh, into focus, it is Salvifici Dolores. You've got to read that document. Because every one of us is going to suffer, and I really believe that this is our trump card as Catholics, and where we are able to help other people make sense out of suffering. He says, in the cross of Christ, not only is the redemption accomplished through suffering, but also human suffering itself has been redeemed. And so when we talk about Jesus making all things new in our life, it isn't that he just comes and gives us a new perspective in our life. He makes us new people. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ with a new destiny, a new family, but he also redeems our very suffering itself. And that means that no matter what we're facing in our life, it has meaning by virtue of the fact that it is joined to Jesus Christ. In bringing about the redemption through suffering, Christ has also raised human suffering to the level of the redemption. Thus, each man in his suffering can also become a sharer in the redemptive suffering of Christ. Jesus suffered in my place for me. Now I have a share in the redemption. Now I'm called to share in that suffering through which the redemption was accomplished. And so my whole mindset has changed since coming into the Catholic Church and really understanding this teaching of redemptive suffering where I see now that every opportunity that I'm faced with on a daily basis is an opportunity for me to share in the redemption of Jesus. Not just an opportunity to put up with life and just hope that this thing gets over with and I can get to the end, but that I see myself in active, an active mission with the Messiah. I see myself as a witness a martyr, 
someone who is dying daily and picking up my cross and joining it to Jesus because I have a part to play and he's made room in his suffering so that I can come to know him. And that's very, very powerful. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and he talks about uh, his weakness. How many of you have ever experienced weakness? If you were to look at the cross of Jesus and you were to be there, stand there 2,000 years ago, what might come to your mind is that Jesus is certainly at a very, very vulnerable and weak moment where he has given everything and exhausted and his blood is pouring from his body, his mother standing at the cross. And yet that point of weakness became the salvation of the world. And so if that point of weakness becomes the strength for the whole world, then what can happen in our own weakness? Paul recognizes this and he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. And that means that when I'm coming home at the end of the day and I have one of those days where I'm feeling stressed out and burned out and tired or something happened you know, with, with a, one of my friends or I got an email or whatever it is, at that point, it's not a point for me to medicate. It's not a point for me to run. It's not a point for me to blame somebody else. But it is a point for me to allow the grace of God to come into my life and transform me. It's an opportunity. Wouldn't it be great to live every day of our life where we see those, those points of suffering in our life as an opportunity to love and as an opportunity to be a witness? Paul expresses this very thing. He says, and this is so beautiful, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always, everybody say always. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus, why do we carry the death of Jesus? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That's what God wants to do through us. That's what God wanted to do through those seven churches of the book of Revelation is that his glory would be manifested through them, but they would have to carry daily the death of Jesus in their body. He goes on and he says, for while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that, I love that, we're so, well, let me say that once again. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. So the cross is completed by the resurrection. And the resurrection helps us go through the darkness, humiliations, and doubts, hopelessness, and persecution. And John Paul II says that those who share in Christ's sufferings have before their eyes the paschal mystery of the cross and resurrection, 
in which Christ descends in a first phase to the ultimate limits of human weakness and impotence. impotence. He is naked. He is spit upon. His flesh is torn open and blood flowing. He is thirsty and weak. But if at the same time in this weakness there is accomplished his lifting up, confirmed by the power of the resurrection, then this means that the weaknesses of all human sufferings, the weaknesses of all human sufferings are capable of being infused with the same power of God manifested in Christ's cross. All of my weaknesses have the capability of being infused with the power of God. That has totally changed my perspective in life. John Paul goes on and he says, It is suffering more than anything else which clears the way for the grace which transforms human souls. And then he says, down through the centuries and generations, it has been seen that in suffering, there is concealed a particular power that draws a person interiorly close to Christ, a special grace. And what I have found in my life and in talking to other people is that when they are confronted with suffering, it does one of two things. One is that people will run away from Christ or it will draw them to Christ. It'll draw them to Christ. I remember when I was going through my very difficult time with my neck that I was reading. I remember having talks with Dr. Hahn on the phone. I had books laid out in my office. And there I was on my knees in my office trying to make sense. Because when I was growing up, my mother always said to me, Jeff, offer it up. And I thought to myself, offer it up? What does it mean to offer it up? And in our family, offer it up simply meant, deal with it, Jeff. I'm cooking right now. <laughs> Go offer it up. And I never really understood what that, what that meant, to offer it up. Until I read John Paul II, understanding that my opportunity to offer up my sufferings comes in the joining of my will to the divine will of God. One of the beautiful teachings of the church is that uh, Jesus is one person, two natures, fully divine, fully human. And in the Council of Constantinople, the church determined that he had two wills, a human will and a divine will. But at no point in his life do you see the human will and the divine will out of sync with each other at all but totally in sync, the human will given totally over to the divine will of the Father. And that's what I discovered in the midst of that pain in my office, was that I had the opportunity in my life to turn my human will over to the divine will of God and to say, Lord, I offer up my suffering in union with your suffering, and you've made my suffering redemptive, and I give it to you, do what you will with it. The point that really changed in my life was when I read a couple of texts from John Paul II. I'm going to get to one, but one of them, he said, the springs of divine power gush forth precisely in the midst of human weakness. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ 
Listen to this. This is so good. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ preserve in their own sufferings. Let me say that again. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ preserve in their own sufferings a very special particle of the infinite treasure of the world's redemption. That means that every one of you that experiences a suffering of any time, what type, whether it's physical or moral, you are sharing a particle of the infinite treasure of the world's redemption. And listen to this. You can share this treasure with others. You can share that treasure with others. That means that you have the opportunity to walk in the ministry of Jesus Christ by joining your suffering with him and saying, Lord, I am going to turn my will over to the divine will, and I join my suffering to yours. I know that you've made it redemptive, and Lord, I want to share this with so-and-so. My daughter, my wife, my husband, for the souls in the United States. And this became really real to me when I was going through my neck problem because I'll be honest with you, I am not a good sufferer. I am a baby. And a lot of men are that way, I'll be honest. A lot of men are not good sufferers. I think that women suffer better than men. Men start suffering with the backache or whatever, and they come home and they say, okay, you know, give me my chair, give me the remote. Come over here, kids, give me the remote. Give me my beer. I'm not going to be dad for a while, you know? And they're just sitting there, and all of the attention is on them. But in the midst of my suffering, I realized that I had a cross and that I had a choice. If I was going to be a witness of Jesus Christ, I could either join my suffering to the suffering of Christ, or I could walk away from this. And I remember one night that I was in so much pain. And I went downstairs because I couldn't sleep. And how many of you have been in pain before where it starts to really wear on you emotionally? To where you can't sleep and you become tired and you're not thinking quite straight. Well, that happened to me in the midst of my pain. And I remember going downstairs and I knelt down on the couch and I started to cry. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. How do I deal with this? What does it mean to offer it up? What do I have to say? What do I have to do to offer up my suffering in union with you? To walk in your ministry. To fill that which is lacking in the sufferings. And it came to me at that moment to simply do it. <laughs> to, there was no magic formula. There was no particular prayer that the church gave me and said, you've got to do it exactly this way. There was no physical position I had to put myself in. I just had to do it. I had to embrace it. And I had to offer it. And so I came up with this great formula that you might want to imitate. Lord, I offer it up. <laughs> and so when I was sitting down there, I thought to myself, what can I do? Who could I give this to? And I thought of my daughter. And at that point, my daughter was very young, and she was upstairs sleeping. And I walked upstairs, and I went into her room and saw her sleeping very comfortably. And I was holding my arm, and I was in pain, and I knelt down next to her bed, and I looked at her, and I was just I was crying. And I, she was sleeping. She never woke up. And I said, I said, Jesus, I offer up my suffering 
for her. I join my will with yours, and I offer up my pain and my suffering for my daughter, and I put my head down next to her on the pillow, and I just started weeping. And I kept saying, for her, for her, for her. And at that moment, something happened in my life. And a transformation took place where my eyes were open and I understood for the first time what it was to love my daughter the way Christ loved me. Up until that point, I could have given all kinds of talks about fathers love your children and how to love your children. But it wasn't until I joined my will with Christ in the area of suffering and I exercised my priestly ministry and gave my suffering to Christ that I understood what it was to love my daughter. And something interesting happened at that point. I didn't want that experience to end. I didn't want it to end at all. And I have to tell you that the Blessed Virgin Mary was the, really the one who helped me through this process. She's known as the Queen of Martyrs. Simeon told Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, that, that her heart would be pierced by a sword. And the Blessed Virgin's love is the most perfect reflection of the love of God possible in a human being, suffering with her son for us. I love what John Paul II says. And the reason I'm mentioning this to you, to you is that there's really nobody better to go to than our mother when it comes to suffering because she does something with our suffering. She brings it to her son. Relating to the Cana wedding, it says in Redemptoris Mater, paragraph 21, thus there is a mediation. Mary places herself between her son and mankind in the reality of their wants, needs, and sufferings. She puts herself in the middle. That is to say, she acts as a mediatrix, not as an outsider, but in her position as mother, she knows that as such, she can point out to her son the needs of mankind. And in fact, she has the right to do so. Her mediation is thus in the nature of intercession. Mary intercedes for mankind. And that is not all. As a mother, she also wishes the, she also wishes the messianic power of her son to be manifested, that salvific power of his which is meant to help man in his misfortunes to free him from the evil which in various forms and degrees weighs heavily upon his life. She takes our wants, our needs, and our sufferings, and she brings them to her son. And she was there at the foot of the cross. And I got to thinking about that in the crosses that we carry in our life. What do we do? Do we join our will to the will of Christ, and who is at the foot of your cross? The Blessed Virgin Mary, to intercede and to pray for you. And the Holy Spirit, all throughout this process, the Holy Spirit is trying to replicate Christ's life within us. The Holy Spirit is pouring out the love of God into our hearts. Why? That we may become like Christ. As Pope John Paul II said about the Holy Spirit, for suffering cannot be transformed and changed by the grace from outside, but from within. 
And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit from within transforms us and changes us if we'll have a docile heart and submit ourselves to God. He goes on and says, And Christ, through his own salvific suffering, is very much present in every human suffering and can act from within that suffering by the powers of his spirit of truth, his consoling spirit. And so when we are suffering, we need to be focused on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and consciously being aware that we are actively participating in the ministry of Christ and not letting the opportunity go by. Suffering is a test of faith. Why? Because at first the suffering does not draw us closer to God, but tempts us to turn away from him and to concentrate wholly on ourselves in fear of self or, or self-pity. I love what Peter Crave says. Peter Crave says, this is the worst thing about sickness, not the pain in the body, but the narrowing of interests in the soul. That's the, that's the tragic outcome of much of our suffering, is that there is a narrowing of interests of the soul in our lives. It is as if the pain is a tyrant with a whip saying, look at me, look at me, every moment, look at me, rather than look at Christ and join with him and allow him to be perfectly formed in you. St. Therese said, if we want to attain an end, we must employ the means. And Jesus made me understand, she said, that it would give me soul, that he would give me souls, that he would give me souls by the means of the cross. He would give me souls by the means of the cross. The more crosses I met with, the more did my attractions to suffering increase. And I, I used to wonder about that, and I thought, when I would hear Catholics talk about that, I think, y'all are crazy. And then I realized what John Paul II said. He said that suffering cannot be taught in the objective. But it's a vocation. Come follow me. And it's in the following of Christ and uniting our suffering with him that the lights are turned on. Now back to Revelation. The book of Revelation has much to say about this idea of being a witness and suffering. For example, in, in chapter 6 and in, in verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Let me say that again. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. The Ignatius Study Bible has a fantastic footnote that you should underline and make a cross-reference in your Bible. And it says, the heavenly counterpart to the bronze altar of sacrifice in the Jerusalem temple. The altar is the, is the counterpart to the bronze altar. And it talks about this idea of being slain for the word that the martyrs bear the likeness of Christ, the slain lamb, and that their pleas for justice sound from beneath the altar, recalling how the lifeblood of sacrificial victims was poured out at the base of the temple altar. Martyrdom is thus portrayed as a priestly act of sacrificing one's life 
to God. And that's what we are called to do. And one of the points that John brings out to these people who are struggling, these seven churches of Asia Minor, is he gives them the key in how to overcome. How to overcome in their life. And much of what I have said is kind of wrapped up in this statement that John makes. He says, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They love not their lives unto the death. In Revelation 5-6, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. You um, will be learning, or you have already, about the Tamid offering, the daily twice offering in the temple, reminding God of the sacrifice that was promised back in Genesis. A perpetual offering. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. A perpetual offering, standing. We live our lives as continuous offerings. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I found it interesting that we have this idea of a lamb standing, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And earlier, Paul uses the same word, or it's the same word is used in the Acts of the Apostles in Acts 22, 20, when it says, and when the blood of Stephen, thy witness was shed, Paul says, I also was standing by and approving and keeping the garments of those who killed him. And so the Apostle Paul went from this posture of standing by and watching Stephen, watching the Holy Spirit manifest Christ in a witness, Stephen. Paul was watching the priestly, the priestly act of sacrifice, and no doubt it had a, a huge impact on his life because later he will talk about suffering a lot, like in Colossians 1, 24. I was impressed, and I'm getting ready to wrap this up, but I was impressed in Luke chapter 24 on the Emmaus Road. In that Emmaus Road experience, we see a couple of individuals after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus walking away from Jerusalem, and they are discouraged, and their heads are hung low. And Jesus comes to talk to them, and they don't recognize him, but he begins to talk to them, and he expounds on the Word of God and, and from the Old Testament on how he had to suffer. And when he breaks bread with them, their eyes are opened and their whole life changes. And he begins to tell the whole story with himself at the center, but he explains why he had to suffer. And then we see them not going away from Jerusalem, but heading back to Jerusalem, the place of the temple. And in the same way, I believe that our trump card as Catholics is to not only live as witnesses, as the book of Revelation talks about, but to communicate this to other people. And I find that when I can communicate the meaning of suffering, that we can join our suffering to Christ, and that our suffering has meaning, and it's redemptive, and we can even share this with, with other people, it makes sense for the first time. And I find people, instead of walking away from the church, coming back to the church. Imagine 
the horror on the enemy's face when the cross resulted in the salvation of the world. Can you imagine if 10 people get a hold of that and pick up their cross like Simon the Cyrene helped Jesus in picking up that cross and they begin to join their suffering with the suffering of Christ? What would happen if 10 or 100 or 1,000 or a million of us picked up our crosses and we joined our wills to the will of God. Imagine. I want to end by just encouraging you in this. If you are suffering in your life today, take the example of the martyrs in the book of Revelation and offer your suffering up in union with Jesus. Take those things that have happened at work. Take those things that have happened physically in your life. And by an act of your will, say, Jesus, I'm joining you. And I ask you to take this and make it redemptive. The most perfect place to do that is in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. As Bishop Bruskowitz says so well, it's the place of the great exchange, where we bring bread and wine to Jesus, and he gives us his body and blood. But in the Mass, we also offer up in union with Christ our victories, but our sufferings also. And we say, Jesus, take my suffering. And what does he do? He gives us grace, and he takes that suffering, and there's a great exchange that takes place in our lives. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for providing for us the model, the footsteps to walk in. That yes, you have suffered for the sins of the world, but you have given us this opportunity to join you. To extend your ministry, but also to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for giving us the holy sacrifice of the Mass, this opportunity to offer up our suffering. We thank you for the Queen of Martyrs, our dear Mother, who takes our suffering to you and helps to more perfectly form us to your image. I pray, Lord, for everybody here that we can leave here knowing that there's nothing wasted in our life, that we don't need to run, we don't need to medicate, we don't need to make excuses or blame, but that we can embrace the good times and we can embrace those difficult times. We thank you for showing us the key, the secret, that we can do all things through you who love us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.